Welcome to the Freelancing Friends podcast, the podcast that gives you the insight you need to become the best freelancer you can be. Be sure to head on over to freelancingfriends.co.uk, join the community and enhance your freelancing career today. In this episode, we speak with Mark Scully, Head of Digital Innovation and Strategy at 256 Content, a content marketing agency based in Dublin. We discuss how to build up your network, running successful events, preventing burnout, and how to ensure enjoyment from your freelancing career. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me, Matt. Excited to obviously get involved in new podcasts. So thanks for having me this week. No, it's a pleasure. So I thought to begin with, if you could just give the listeners a bit of insight into yourself, who you are, what you've done, um, and kind of what's led you to where you are right now. Yeah, of course. So I'm Mark. I'm the head of digital innovation strategy at 256. We are based in Dublin. I've been there for a few years now. My background previously was working in digital marketing event space, particularly Learn Inbounds, where I founded a, a digital marketing training providing company that we had an annual conference as well as some in-person classroom training courses too. And over the years, that's obviously helped me get in front of certain companies. And one of them was 256, who I've built a rapport with over a number of years. And ultimately that led on to the position I'm in today. So, I've worked with a number of companies over the years, um, based in both Dublin as well as the UK, um, particularly some companies like Daft, which is a property company in Dublin, um, educational companies like the Digital Marketing Institute I've worked with, and then over in the UK where I lived just for one year, um, surprisingly, um, I was working with Broadband Choices based in London for that. So a lot of my background, I guess, is benefit from just getting out and about networking through events and events I've run myself and that's kind of led me up to this point today. Perfect and I think that kind of touches on something specifically interesting to the freelance world and that is kind of getting out and about getting your name out there kind of meeting these contacts as well so I suppose before we touch on your freelance work as kind of maybe a more broad subject how did you go about getting yourself out there even from the beginning of your career Obviously, you know, you moved from <laughs> Ireland to the UK and back. So how yeah. did you go about kind of building that name for yourself? To be honest with you, it's quite difficult starting out because you don't really know where to start. And depending upon the people within your immediate network, um, they can either be helpful and to pull you along with them in terms of their audience or you have to build your own. And um, for me, it was ultimately looking out at what events were already existing in the markets and making an attempt to obviously go along to them to network with both attendees and speakers i was writing um write-ups about the events themselves the key highlights and what was covered at the events and kind of using that piece i guess to leverage the audience for the event itself who would then typically share that kind of contents um from there like I slowly, I guess, started to get to know a few people in the industry and I put a lot of emphasis into my social media profiles and just getting out there in terms of posting valuable content. Then from there, I guess it kind of compounds over time. You start to get to know people, they start to get to know your name, they're more open to sharing your content and then it makes it a little bit easier then when those circumstances pop up whereby they either need support on certain projects and associate your name with a particular area that you've specialized in. And I think even from the outsets, just picking a specialism and kind of making your name known for that, it makes it a lot easier then to stand out in the markets. Whereas I guess a lot more junior level marketers tend to go, I guess, more for the, the T-shaped marketer approach where they're quite broad across a number of topics. But for me, I try to hone in on particularly technical SEO, which is what my background was at the start. Then the main focus just to get out to SEO kind of events. And that's where I kind of built my network. So it's taken, I guess, a good number of years to kind of build up that initial traction. 
But I think when you look at your personal brands, you can need to focus on a long-term approach and invest in it consistently. Whereas sometimes the problem with building a personal brand is people don't know the value of it until they actually need it. Um, in which case it could be they really need to get some new clients on board or they've lost their job and need to assess what's out there in the market. But I've always seen, I guess, the personal brand piece as a long-term investment that you don't always know what the return on investment is going to be until if and when you actually need to tap into that. So I guess just be not over a period of time and just sticking to us. And I think even during difficult times, whenever you're under pressure of projects and other work, just understanding that you need to treat this as part of your role and set time aside for it each week, each month, etc. And then I guess that kind of pays off, I think. And it's just something that can be difficult to get started with, but ultimately it does actually lead to significant benefits in the long term. Definitely. I think one thing that I definitely questioned towards the beginning of my career, and I've met countless other people that do as well, so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. Obviously, you mentioned trying to attend a lot of events and more specific to obviously what you were offering at the time, but we know there's a range out there anyway. Were you trying to maybe be a speaker at most of them or did you find more value in maybe just being an attendee and networking you know, with everyone else going as opposed to kind of maybe spending that focus and time and energy on how's my talk going to go? Am I ready? Am I nervous, etc.? I think you need to be selective based on your own skill set and where you're comfortable. Like for me, I'm a natural introvert. So for me, going to an event and the fall of even doing public speaking fills me with nothing but anxiety and fear. So naturally, I would see what's comfortable for me to be networking at the events within the limitations of what I'm comfortable with doing and writing content based on the events, doing live tweets during the event or X's, whatever they call these days. Um, and then from there, I start to build up those relationships. Obviously, the perfect place to be in the event is on the stage because you are a center focus. And it's one of the best opportunities to kind of get yourself in front of more people. But I think you need to choose what works for you. For me, it was just a networking piece and kind of be in the background. In saying that, um, if you do build up your confidence as a marketer, over a period of time, and maybe you look into training opportunities too that helps you overcome your fears, and when you feel like you have something worthwhile with sharing and you overcome those kind of um, concerns you might have about how good are you as a speaker, how good is your knowledge, being on the stage does offer, I guess, a more immediate impact in the short term. But I think you just need to be choosy um, and not push yourself completely outside your comfort zone to the point whereby you just don't want to go back to events and networking again for me it's always been fine much in the backgrounds even as an event organizer i never put myself on stage because it's not within my natural skill sets so align your objectives of what you're trying to get out for building your brands with actually what's fees comfortable for yourself too because ultimately investing in your brand is a long-term goal and something you need to work towards and if you're consistently doing something that's makes you uncomfortable and some people would say should face what makes you uncomfortable but i also think that if it saps your energy too much and if it takes away from the things that you're really good at i wouldn't say necessarily that's the path for you either yeah i'm i've always been exactly the same as well so i'm quite an introvert which does lead to the question of why i'm doing a podcast but that's me pushing myself out of my comfort zone but i've always been one of them i more prefer to attend and kind of network than be the speaker I've done maybe one or two speaking events in my time um, and I've always found them to be different. I think a lot of it, as you say, does come down to that comfort level as well. You know, there are events out there where, you know, it's much smaller audiences than, you know, the top tier events like Brighton SEO, for example. So that's always a good way to start. But I think a lot of it does just come Mm. down to, I don't even think it's always the confidence of, you as a person as well. I think a lot of it comes to the confidence of what you're going to be talking about, which I think is where kind of niching down on that specialism really comes in. If you can be a hundred percent confident that the work you're doing for your clients is correct. Yeah. Then you should be able, well, I say should, but you know, you're more likely to be able to get in front of a room full of people. But I suppose while we're on the topic of events, it's quite a nice segue into talking about learning bound. 
Um, I know that was quite obviously a big part of your career as well. And for me personally, and I'm sure other people, that's kind of where I first initially saw your name being thrown around. So obviously we'll probably go into a bit more detail on it, but I thought for a start, did you want to give a bit more information on what Learning Bound was and is and kind of how you came to, I suppose, grow it and push it to what it is now? It's kind of the classic problem that you want to get out there as a marketer and go to events, but then maybe there's not events available that's maybe within a certain category that matches with your own expectations and what you want to go to yourself. So after being to obviously the best events in the UK, like Brighton SEO, um, Search Love, which was previously run by Distilled, and even Turing Fest in Edinburgh and Scotland, I seen what the caliber events was, and I had attended MozCon as well in Seattle by Moz um, in 2014. When I came back to Ireland, I realized there was nothing kind of meeting that level in regards to the quality of the speakers, the the key actionable and strategic insights I could get from the talks themselves. Um, and it was a little bit of frustration, to be honest with you, because I think Irish marketers should have more opportunities available to them. So. As a reluctance, I guess, um, introvert who wanted to get out there, um, I realized it was an opportunity to do something different, to bring some of these speakers to Ireland and put them in such a environment whereby marketers could come freely to these events and could actually learn something quite tangible that could take back into their roles to, you know, obviously put into practice themselves. So... Back in 2014, after I came back from MozCon, my media thought was, okay, what I need to do here to really kick off something in Dublin. And I realized there wasn't much competition in the markets, but I also was energized about the fact that I came away so excited from a, from another events, and there was so much I learned from that. I need to build a platform for this. So learning buying came around by initially being a community. Um, like I wanted somewhere to share contents, like I was writing on a weekly basis. And then it naturally led on to doing an event itself in January 2015, whereby we had three speakers, 30 minutes each, presenting to an audience of 100 people. And it sold out probably within like six or seven hours. Like it was a free event to attend, but it sold out pretty quickly. It's shown to me the appetites among other marketers in Ireland to go to something like this, to really learn from people who are at the top of their game and to have something that was interesting and fun and led back. And there was a lot of corporate events in Ireland at that point, but there was nothing that was kind of more fun and interesting and community-led. For me, I guess my priority was, one, I wanted to do something for my own personal brand because I had written some content before. I obviously had tried to build a social media presence but maybe it wasn't gaining the traction I kind of really wanted to. And then secondly, it was, what about people like me in that position who are out there, who are really desperately trying to learn and to have opportunities to network with other marketers? What do they have right now to go to? And there was a mix between, say, people learning digital marketing who are students, as well as entry-level marketers, right up to the more senior-level CMOs who had nothing to go to in Ireland to really learn from the best. So it started to build traction from there, and over several years, it went from a quarterly event to doing an annual two-day conference to then starting to layer on monthly meetups on top of that, and then it was in-person training courses. The appetite was there, and for me, the satisfaction came from the feedback I was getting from people who were going along and learning something quite tangible they could actually put into practice themselves. And just seeing the buzz and seeing the brand start to grow. Like I think any freelancer can relate. Once they start to see that initial buzz around their brand and seeing that interest, that kind of excites you. That's the kind of thing that you sit late at night. Why not you're doing a podcast um, like yourself, Matt, or why not you're actually working on blog content in the evenings or weekends, whatever it might be, or that website redesign. Once you start seeing people a little bit more interested in it, it kind of gets you through those difficult times as a freelancer where you're maybe slightly burnt out, frustrated by clients, projects are getting stopped by senior level people or you're chasing invoices whatever it might be it's kind of that brand piece that got me excited and that's kind of why i stuck with it for a number of years um i think over six seven years it was like over 50 events or something like that 
but yeah, it's when you see people coming and actually enjoying it and getting the feedback from them and just seeing people throughout your careers progress from a junior level person right up to senior. That's kind of what led me down that path. So it was a complete learning journey, I guess, in that sense. You learn quickly when you're a solo person, like any freelancer, when your back's in the corner and you have to do everything. So I think that leads on to why I kind of really wanted to get you on the podcast as well. So obviously we've worked together in various forms as well. So, you know, it was always nice to think, oh, we'll kind of sit down and have a chat together in a more formal way. But specifically with Learn Inbound, I suppose when you go back to those very beginnings, it is very much like just becoming a freelancer. So, you know, I know I've had ideas in the past personally about maybe putting on an event. I know other people that I've spoken to that do freelance have had that kind of similar thought pattern. I think at the minute as well, there seem to be more events popping up that are trying to be more niche or more specific. So obviously you've got the great ones like we mentioned, sort of obviously Brighton SEO, the Sheffield DM, and I'm noticing a lot more, um, I suppose the right word for it would be specific ones. So we're having kind of digital PR shows now. We've got anything on data and analytics. And I think there's always going to be that appetite as well. A lot of marketing is you know, not for everyone out there, but stereotypically we probably are some of you more extroverted people and some of you more introverted people. I think it obviously depends on whereabouts you sat in within <laughs> marketing yeah. itself. But it's nice to kind of have that place where even if you are maybe a bit more introverted, for example, if you're in a room full of people that you know are pretty similar to you, but you also have the same passions, which is yeah. exactly why you're there, it's always a nice place to kind of be around and grow that network you know it doesn't always have to just be done digitally yeah so i think what would be quite interesting is maybe some of the main lessons you learned from running learning bound whether that be from running an event as a whole or whether it comes down to obviously kind of running and growing that business side of things as well which i think obviously resonates quite well from a freelance perspective too yeah like i think the one thing I learned early on is your speakers are not necessarily unique selling points. Like it's easy to get drawn on the fact that certain speakers have spoken at certain events and now they're speaking at yours. And that's kind of exciting. But I think the one thing that really separates most events apart, and I think women in tech SEO is a perfect example of this. The foundation is the community. And ultimately, that's the one thing that really empowers the whole event and you craft a whole experience around that. It's really actually building those connections between people, giving them a warm, a safe and inclusive platform to really communicate with each other and empower them to do that. That's the one thing I find that separates most events who are possibly sometimes competing for the same audience. Or maybe in some cases, there's an overlap on the speakers they're presenting. Or in often many cases, you might see the same presentation at multiple events, and that, that's fair enough. But I think when you go back to the very basics, the one thing that helps the survival of an event is that community piece. Because what I discovered early on was marketers get obviously saturated with a lot of the same messaging all the time. So early bird tickets are on sale, early bird tickets are ending, um, here's your 50% discounts, here's like all these last minute discounts and offers. But the reality is a lot of that doesn't really push ticket sales. It's actually the piece around what's in it for you if you come along. These people are coming along too. Um, here's what we're doing to make it more connected with the audience members on the days. Like that was what carried us through from a five simple event at the start through to something that was much bigger. Two day conference was that. Even when sometimes other events popped up, maybe in Ireland, who so actually had overlapping speakers. People came to Learn Inbound because we had built such a brand that people felt attached to. And I think even for a freelancer possibly going out now to set up an event, really understands what is it uniquely that you're trying to do here. Like if you're just launching an SEO meetup, but yet maybe you're inviting some of the same speakers from other SEO meetups. Truthfully, you're going to struggle. And the difference in geographical location isn't necessarily going to be enough to pull people towards that. But what is it that you're doing to connect those people that come along a little bit better than everyone else? What is it about the brands that you stand for? For us, it was about ensuring we had 
um, an inclusive audience. We had gender balance among the speaker lineup that whenever harassment happens, we call it out. Um, and I had written a blog post about this in regards to five cases at one of our events that all came back to two individuals at the events. And that's something I realized that no conference organizer had really spoken about publicly properly. And I just wrote about it a week after our conference and mentioned the communications we have with certain attendees and what happened to the person <clears throat> who was committing the harassment towards certain people. I think that's the piece you really need to be strong about your values and just what is unique about your events. Because truthfully, even with freelancer work, your work can be easily replicated. So you need to take it back to the basics of like, why are you doing this? And what need are you filling right now in the market? And it does take a lot of thinking, to be honest. And I think you need to be quite conscious of the fact that like, people's time is precious. They are getting swamped with similar messaging. There is similar speakers across other events. And if the only thing you have to offer is a different name, truthfully, that's not a sustainable event long-term. So it's difficult to say in every case what you should be doing. But for me, just actually taking a step back and looking at that community piece, like I said, that's what really makes Women in Tech SEO stand out. And I think the team there has done an amazing job of it. Their tickets sell out quickly. They've got a really strong select community behind that. It's clear that no matter what the speaker lineup might be, and it's always an amazing selection regardless, they could be confident in the fact that the people who come along to these events will be their biggest brand advocates. And that's the thing that you really need to focus on there is don't be so dependent on your own marketing. Um, make your people the actual advocates themselves. And the other thing that I really noticed along with events is most events, after they take place, their marketing dies until they have something new to promote, which is typically another event. What is the connective tissue between all those events? What are you doing between them to really empower people? And that's where I think the best events stand out is they're consistently 365 days of the year doing something and really giving people a reason to care and not just pushing out marketing materials them about an upcoming events and early bird ticket sales, etc. I think the community side of things that you picked on there was really interesting. Obviously, myself and freelancing friends, that's, you know, something I'm quite passionate about from what I'm doing and kind of growing that community. And I'm in total agreement when you look at events such as, or communities as a whole, such as Women in Tech SEO, that's what really helps them stand out from the crowd. You know, it's, it is a specific event, but they've got that community behind it. So there's full understanding as well. I suppose with Learn Inbound, obviously, as you said, it's building that community to if another event came up in, in Ireland and, you know, maybe 50% of the speakers were exactly the same, people were still coming to you. How did you go about building that community? And obviously you originally started with kind of the website and the blog and somewhere to share thoughts, but was there anything outside of that you did to kind of try and build that community? Yeah, like the most important thing to build and empower community is to recognize the people within it the people who are actually given their time to be part of what you're trying to create so for something that we were doing regularly for a lot of the monthly meetups was we were choosing a community member of the month someone that was quite actively attending all our events was the type of person that was asking questions um, during the q a showing actual interest and getting to know the speakers and then among our team we would have selected someone that was that kind of community member of the month like it's a small thing but then we would interview them we would publish that interview on the blog getting to understand themselves the type of role they're in what led them to go to learn inbound events it was that piece there that makes you feel like you're important then if a brand or a community is actually recognizing you and doing something about that like in the past when i tried other community development projects gamification was something i've done quite well and rewarded people but for learning inbound specifically it was that kind of interview piece like we knew quite easily which people were more involved than others by just looking at the data and just observations ourselves at the events i think it's probably something that any freelancer running their own community will know themselves which are the more active members because ultimately that's your foundation right there 
those are the people that are going to grow the community and grow the events, and grow the brands. I think the more you do to empower them people, the more likely it's going to grow. Because regardless of the people that come in the community, and sometimes there will be a mismatch. People come in who don't necessarily match your community guidelines or what you're trying to achieve with it. It's that sort of foundation which will be protective of that. I think that's the key thing there that I always come back to. I think one a topic that I kind of wanted to touch on as well, and I believe, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when you were starting Learning Bound and running that, you were also in employment as well. So you were kind of doing both of those alongside each other. And obviously, you know, some of the listeners that were going to have a, maybe similar to myself, so the full-time freelance, but some of them may be freelancing either a full-time job or part-time. So one thing that I really wanted to touch on, and it's something I've definitely had a love-hate relationship with myself over the last couple of years, and you yourself know about this quite well, um, is that work-life balance and how you kind of went around, you know, working a full-time job, running and kind of growing, learn inbound, but also making sure you had that time to relax and and just kind of switch off mentally for a little bit yeah like in the early days i won't lie to you like when i was working nine to five monday to friday in a job i was getting into the office at seven in the morning and for those two hours i was fine much focus on building that brands and actually putting together the foundational structure for events like that was my quiet time in the morning there was no one else in the office and i had my headphones on i had my excessively strong cup of coffee in front of me and I kept my head down and that's allowed me to get a lot of work done and then sadly if you scroll through my photo albums my phone what you would see from those years was there was a lot of photos in the empty office at the weekend where I was sat I spent most of Saturday and Sunday probably for about five years straight not having a weekend off actually getting a full-time job on my own company done on a Saturday and Sunday and those were long days maybe 10 to 12 hours of actually just working on learning inbounds writing email campaigns scheduling maybe seven or eight um, Twitter posts go out each day during the week um, writing landing page copy um, working on sponsorship agreements for companies I wanted to work with um, consolidating and taking feedback from previous events and working with speakers on what we're going to do at the upcoming events and then just all the logistics, etc. Like the harsh reality is if you are busy with other full-time commitments, you do need a pencil and time somewhere to work on your own things. But the cost is, and you don't realize this at time, that kind of time eventually compounds into burnouts, really. And that's something that I faced maybe after five or six years. You can go through a period in your life where you're absolutely full of energy, absolutely full of passion. You're seeing traction in what you're doing. But if you do not have that kind of protective barrier or people around you who can pull you back and say to you, look, you need to make time for rest and get away from this. Like I was working a Monday to Friday marketing job, but most of what I was doing outside of work was also marketing so really i never had a disconnect from it like i used to be a passionate gamer but over five years i barely played a game didn't even own like playstation 4 or xbox one or anything i didn't have time for it um but i was just constantly working on my own projects and at the time it was exciting but once covid came around once i started to slow down like i've started to realize what the cost of that really was which was my own mental health and i think that's something that people don't really realize until they stop. And I think when you're being a freelancer or why not you're a full-time person working on side projects, if you do not give yourself that buffer, time to yourself, looking after your own physical health, looking after your own mental health, and just being kind to yourself. Like I was always absolutely exhausted after running the the major conference we ran. Like for a week after that, I was basically just locked away. I didn't have any energy. As an introvert, I was completely locked away. And I think everyone that considers doing their own thing, even if you're just doing freelancing and that's your main gig, you need to set a clear cutoff point of what you're going to be doing. What's acceptable to you um, might not be acceptable further down the road. And I think you just need to be smart about your choices. So if you're considering a side project, a side hustle, whatever it might be, 
I think you just need to be clear about what time you're going to have to put into this and what's the clear cutoff and what you're willing to give up. For me, I had to give up a lot. Um, and like it pays off in some ways, in other ways it does not. So you just need to be clear about what's comfortable for you. And uh, it's difficult to get that balance right, to be honest with you. No, 100%. I've, uh, I've definitely been there myself. And I think universally burnout is something that is quite prevalent in the marketing world, but I think it also holds a very different meaning personally to each individual. So, for example, my burnout might be completely different to yours, but as a general, um, I think most people do eventually experience burnout and, you know, there are the kind of typical things everyone will feel, which is kind of no energy, no passion, you might completely lose your motivation, etc. What did you do to kind of counteract that burnout? I know you obviously mentioned, you know, COVID as a time which was strange for us all and kind of, you know, in some ways forced certain things to change. But generally, you know, even if it wasn't something that you did straight away because of COVID, is there anything you still continue now, for example, that helped you avoid that burnout? Yeah, like, I mean, if you chat with your GP, you'll get a standard list of things that you should be doing. And I had ticked off that list, which is you need to eat well, you need to go to the gym, do physical exercise, you need to get outside more. Like, I did all those things, but still was not enough for me. It didn't really moved a needle in terms of my mental health. For me, what I had to look back on was the key things that I was passionate about. For me, one of the things was gaming, which was huge for me. I had such an interest in that industry for many years, but once I started doing my own side business, I kind of got, I guess, distracted from that and it became something that didn't feel justified my time because when you have your own business, like you have to get rid of any distraction that doesn't lead to success of that business in your mind. But you don't realize that investing in yourself is the one thing that compounds over time and helps you succeed at even your business and life in general. So for me, looking at it, I was thinking, okay, so gaming was a clear passion. That's something I wanted to get back to. I want to make time for actually going on holidays, which I hadn't been on probably like 10 years at that point. And if you don't count conference trips, because let's face it, a conference trip is not really a holiday. You're still in work mode, really. So I made time to have an actual holiday that didn't involve bringing a laptop, um, obviously getting outside more and just meeting my parents more because like, I'd hate to be... Uh, so focused on work why not again you're working on your side projects or you're working on like a really busy job to lose sense of your family and everything because you don't want to look back with regret so if i invest a lot more time into that as well and over time those things just slowly help me um and there is no solution for everyone as you touched upon but you think you need to look at for yourself just those small changes because i do think they do help over time a lot of what you've just said there resonates completely with me for example with family that was one of the main reasons I also just went freelance in the first place um you know my freelancing journey has gone a little bit different than I expected it to but generally it was to say I need a bit more time for myself but not so much myself it was to spend with my family so you know go and see my parents my sister I've got a niece so I didn't want to miss her growing up as much as I had been doing and a lot of it I think is about you know, it doesn't even have to be family, it can be friends or anyone. It's kind of spending that quality time with people. And the flip side of that as well is the quality time with yourself. So obviously in your example, yeah. you know, you were really into gaming and you're kind of missing that. I went through very similar. I'm a musician, I play guitar. The amount of years of worth of dust that just collected on my guitars was a bit disgusting in the end. Um <laughs> but they are now dusted off and, and playing. So if anyone was concerned about that that is sorted but I think yeah. obviously as you say you know it's very good to kind of spend that time to work on you and I think whether you're a freelancer or maybe you're running a small business so maybe you've you know maybe a solopreneur as opposed to a, a freelancer but one thing that you touched on that I completely agree with is if you don't look after yourself nothing's going to be successful yeah like I mean to be honest with you, once you start looking at LinkedIn and once you start scrolling through social, people's perception of success becomes something that is not necessarily obtainable or 
it's a false sense of success that's being portrayed on social. So I think even before you get into the freelance world or whether or not you're working on your own business, whatever it might be, I think you need to be clear about what works for you. So in your case, Matt might be having more time for your family, focus on music, etc. For me, it was again similar in some extents and just being quite clear about like what those kind of like where are you going to put the restrictions and what you do in place? Because you can chase a dream, but you can also completely destroy yourself as a person. And you can look back and have no success, really. Or you can choose success and never be happy with it. Which is what many people do, is they're always chasing a, another job title. They're always chasing a certain revenue target. They're always thinking about what they can do in that sense. But they're possibly making sacrifices that are really unhealthy over time. And to look back in 10, 15 years and think, I made all these sacrifices and now I can't undo that. And there's people I've lost touch with. Or I might have money. I might have what's perceived to be success. But ultimately, I can't look at any of this with satisfaction because it has just cost me too much. So I think that's kind of has to be clear from the outset. So even for me doing Learn Inbound, what I was trying to get to, or even now, what I'm looking at towards the future of other projects, like I'm stopping and being smarter about this now. I'm thinking, is that a line I'm willing to cross? Because if I do, I'm going to say goodbye to X, Y, and Z. And I think that's a very difficult thing because you scroll through Twitter, you're always seeing certain freelancers who are discussing the certain revenue goals they hit for the year. And maybe they've hit their target in six months and they're super excited about this. And maybe they're trying to sell the course at the same point. <laughs> but that kind of thing right there is the thing that actually causes such a toxic attitude in this industry. So I think you really got to be clear about your own kind of success here because Honestly, I, I chat with people. I've looked at certain freelancers who put on social about how much revenue the company made. And then I look at the company records, which you can get access to, and you realize they're never even hit those numbers, even remotely close. So there is a lot of lies out there. And ignore the photos of the new Porsche somebody has bought and the fact that they've hit seven figures in a year, etc., etc. None of that really means anything. And I think that's the clear thing I try to get across to everyone is to them it might mean something they might be happy or they could be ultimately miserable behind the scenes you don't know that either they could have significant mental health problems to get there and what you're seeing is just a sure just a certain like kind of angle they're putting on social and nothing else so be careful out there it's a difficult place to be you're going to be absolutely swamped and people trying to put certain viewpoints out there in the markets but it's really focus on yourself because that's the main thing that matters, I think. Personally, I think that's one of the biggest things I try and push, you know, not always on social, but to everyone I speak to, is that kind of toxic environment on social. It's not all completely toxic by all means. I've met many people and I've gained business and made friends for life from it. But a lot of what you see, you know, there are specific creators on there where it is literally to try and look successful but that's by you know the societal stereotypes of i've got a nice car a big house go on holiday and i earn lots of money but yeah that's not and i think the biggest thing for going freelance if you've not gone yet or even if you are freelance is kind of realizing success isn't how many figures am i hitting a year it's a very personal thing that you need to figure out especially as a freelancer you know you you're kind of working for yourself there's no you haven't got targets from higher ups and there's nothing there to say you need to do xyz you know most of the time there's always going to be a bottom kind of rung of what you need to earn and that's just life you know we've all got bills to pay and living costs exactly. but on top of that maybe success isn't money to you it's having like the means to live really. Like I mean, the one thing that you don't see in social, you don't see the the failures either. So if you're treating social media as a benchmark of where you should be, then you're really placing a lot of pressure on yourself because it's difficult. People have been hurt by the economic changes in the markets, people have lost clients. 
certain companies are slashing budgets, you do not hear about that. But you'll also only see when a certain freelancer maybe has secured a new big client because that's exciting. That's potentially a hook then for selling your services because that looks good and people naturally just comment and say, well done to you. And you should celebrate successes. Of course you should. But just know that that's what typically you only see on social. And for you, success could be, I actually can finish up work at a certain time each day, collect my child from school, take them home, cook them dinner and sit down in the evening. Or I can actually work late in the evening when my my son or my daughter is in bed sleeping. I can do the work then. Or I can start later in the morning. I can go to the gym in the morning. I can be healthier and get out more. For you, that might be success. And that's brilliant. Of course, prioritize those things. Just don't allow yourself to ever be shaped by what you perceive success to be when you see it from other people because they only share the positive. And that's the key thing I see all the time. And that's why I think social media can be both a positive thing for a freelancer's brand, but also super negative in regards to the consequences of actually following certain people and thinking that's where you should be because their life is not necessarily a reflection of yours. They might have certain supports from certain people it could be the fact that certain privileges they've had in life, which you have not necessarily had to, they might have been granted certain funding. Um, the parents may have allowed them to stay at home to a certain age, in which case they don't have the same outgoing payments each month on rents, etc. And they could put everything into their brand or into their business. You don't know what went on in their life and they don't know what's went on years. So just be quite careful about that. That's all I'd say. No, I'm really happy we touched on that topic because I think it is something doesn't really get spoken about and it's always been something quite close to myself and as a a word smith yourself random fact of the day is my favorite word ever is sonder which the meaning of it is everyone you pass in the street has a life as complex and difficult as yours you just don't know what it is and i think that does you know social media very much only portrays half of the story there are some people out there that kind of shout about the failures as well and you know i think that's absolutely fantastic but it's having that healthy balance and also maintaining that stability of focusing on doing things for you and not for what the society deems to be you know the norm but one thing that you did touch on there that i think would be quite interesting to touch on is obviously the economic changes especially over recent years with covid etc you know in the marketing world that had a relatively significant impact. Um, I think it caused a lot of changes across the industry that I'll not go into each one in depth, but obviously you're now in the agency world, you're working for 256. Obviously as a, as a brand and as an agency, you're doing some incredible work, but I thought it might be interesting to touch on what you've seen different over the past few years since kind of COVID's maybe slowed down a bit and we've come to the what I'll call the new norm in quotation marks and kind of how you adapted to that. I think a lot of the decisions now in regards to projects from companies of all different sizes have been slowed down. They're a lot more cautious about where the budget spend is. And often, I'm sure you've seen this yourself, Matt, is marketing tends to be one of the things that gets cut first, really. Um, across all different divisions of marketing, everything from, from SEO, PPC, social media, etc. So it takes longer to get those decisions made and it takes a lot more in terms of justification about why something should be a certain price. There's a lot more education necessary with the clients to really walk them through that and be realistic about what's the actual results going to be because you know when certain businesses are keen to see results a little bit sooner and sometimes that's just not possible. Realistically, particularly SEO, say for a new brand. So we've had to face those challenges. The other thing which I think is applicable to most companies is the benefit of having freelancers to tap into for certain projects because it brings a number of different benefits across different areas, I find. One is the fact that you can be more agile as a business, really. The fact that you maybe have reduced number of full-time people on your payroll, whereas with freelancers, based on when projects are kind of dropping um, in regards to new business, you can tap them in and tap them out when needed. And with that, it just allows you to be adaptable 
Whereas during times like this, like I won't name agencies, but there has been obviously agencies across the UK. They've had to let staff go. And of course, look, that has to come from the top. Like if clients are cutting back on spends, you do have to look at the people on your payroll um, as and when needs be. But freelancers, I find it gives you just accessibility to strong skill sets that maybe you don't have in your team. And to be honest with you, it reduces the time required from senior level management too, because anyone that's had to manage people knows that can be quite time intensive. Whereas with freelancers, ultimately you're bringing in people, not necessarily to make your job easier, but it does cut back on some of the layers of communication and just overall management are required if you bring in the right people. They understand what needs to be done. They have a technical knowledge, uh, technical skill sets you possibly don't have in your team. And you can bring them in specifically for the types of projects where they requires. Whereas when you have a full-time team, there needs to be a consistent focus on upskilling that team, giving training, giving supports, one-to-ones, weekly checkups, whatever it might be. And that can bring, it can bring an element of risk, certainly during economic times like this. And I think that's something that every agency, even 256, we've seen that too. Whereas tapping into freelancers who are really good at certain niche things can actually just bring you up to a different level altogether. And ultimately, of course, one of the vanity things to shout about in this industry is the growth of your team as a whole. It's nice to say you're hiring a certain number of full-time members of staff and that you've hired, or sorry, you've secured certain big brands as clients. Um, but I think if you're being smart and being more agile, like the freelancer approach, I find the best way to go, in my opinion. And then whenever you get to a certain level of new business coming in consistently, then you can think about adding on more people on your full-time members of staff. But I think certainly through difficult times like this, just having that kind of network and investing in that and getting to know people in the industry over years about who's good at what and actually being able to depend on them, it reduces friction and it can free you up completely in many different ways. So that guy found it really, really beneficial. And from, I suppose, that agency perspective as well, you know, if you are looking for freelancers for specific projects you've got coming up or whatever it might be, how do you generally tend to go around trying to find them? Is it always through referrals? Is it you know, checking on socials, maybe potentially meeting someone at an event or just generally a mixture of all of those? Regards to how I would source them, like referrals for me is typically the best social proof. If the person referring them, you have nothing but ultimate trust in them. Because I think like most people over the years, I have been burnt a little bit in referrals um, from people that you have trust in and have recommended someone who possibly was not a good fit. So I think you need to be quite particular about the type of person that you're looking for. And from them, you need to really ask those right questions about what work they've delivered for them. Um, and it's not just a case whereby they're just industry friends recommended somebody that they know, because that often happens. I think you need to know that that person recommending them has seen what they're capable of doing at certain levels. For me, typically, if I'm working with a freelancer, it's beneficial to me if it frees me up from presenting um, projects to a client. So having somebody that's got confidence that can do that and can actually own a call by themselves if needs be, that's really useful. And I won't really get to the bottom of that where I'm actually asking the right questions to people I know in my network who have worked with them in some capacity. And I think that's important. I've tried, I guess, the more colder approach over the years of actually posting on social media. I have a certain project. I need a certain type of person. And to be honest with you, I've gotten so many cold recommendations or people reaching out. And by the time you filter through that, and by the time you do your due diligence of checking out the portfolios, checking out the work, asking for testimonials, recommendations, etc., you're adding on another layer of friction and extra time required on your side, which it's difficult to give up whenever you're working in a busy agency role. So for me, referral has been the only approach lately like people I've worked with lately have came through a recommendation. And for me, that's just been really, really useful. Whereas over the years when I haven't taken that approach, I haven't done my background checking, I haven't really looked into the work. When you add on my time onto that project, then it kind of, it gets like 
project scope creep completely. Like you're outside your budget entirely, in which case, why are you even doing this project? Like, you mean you're not making anything off, there's no margin. But getting in the right people who have that skill set, who are recommended to you, who have worked with a person who's recommending them, like that for me is invaluable. Like that's just a life hack right there is just getting that piece right. No, definitely. And I think that kind of brings essentially that whole conversation full circle of, you know, the referrals are coming from people that maybe you've met at events and attended and, you know, it all works in its own, I suppose, mysterious way sometimes, but it does come down. I always push quite a lot of pushing yourself as a person and as a brand is the best thing you can do, because even if you don't know, you know, whoever's going to be your end client directly, you're more than likely going to know someone who does and they might refer you, et cetera, et cetera. So it all works really well. But I suppose, obviously, we've spoken about, you know, what you've done in the past, what you're kind of currently doing. What's next for you? I'm, don't worry, I'm not expecting a, what, where do you see yourself in five years kind of question. Um, but is there anything on the books for you moving forward? Is there anything exciting you've got going off? Yeah, like, I mean, if we go back to my point earlier, whenever you focus on anything long term, I think you need a default to passion. For me, for many years, it was technical SEO analytics, the more technical side of marketing. And that's something I I deeply enjoyed with Learn Inbound, the type of speakers I worked with. But then there was a gap in something I really deeply missed, and that's gaming. And I think long-term, when I look at where I want to be, it's that industry that excites me most. Like, I mean, of course, that industry has grown so rapidly that financially it's making more than the movie industry right now and the music industry. Um, but when I look at what type of content I read, what I engage with, the podcasts, like the people I follow through social media, um, and just what gets them excited, what got them into the industry, just seeing that creativity and that passion and the kind of story and the experience they're trying to build. Like that's something that is going to be around, I think, even longer than digital marketing. Like if we're being honest with ourselves, to some extent, digital marketing is going to be hurt by. AI innovations, like ultimately it is going to be, and we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't think that a lot of different things are going to be affected eventually. SEO, where is that going? Like really, at some points, you know, there is going to be certain areas of that will be cut back on, um, and obviously Google algorithm is getting smarter and growing and changing every day. Like it's become more difficult. Content marketing, we're facing the challenges, obviously, of AI-generated content. And it's not there just yet, still needs that human element. But then I look towards gaming and how it's evolving. And the level of investment that's been put into AAA budget games and chatting with some of the makers in the industry, like that's a far exciting area. And like I spend a considerable amount of time gaming these days, I'm invested in every console. I won't even tell you how many games I own, but it's an unhealthy amount. It's my kind of retirement plan, I think, at this point. But like, I think that industry as a whole is where I see myself further down the road of where I want to get to. And a lot of the folks I've placed on community development over the years, building a brand that's fun, engaging, people connect to, the event space of bringing people together, and then actually just tapping into the creators and giving them a platform to share how they got in the industry, how did they actually go through the game development process, how all these things are connected together, everything from music design to animation to art, storytelling, um, even the marketing piece and the branding piece. Like That's probably the most exciting area I see right now. And no, I'm not talking about um, anything NFT related or anything like that, because that's just something that's foolish to invest money in, to be honest. But video games as a whole is just probably a passion. I think by default, you always need to go back to your passion because you're always going to go above and beyond on that piece. Whereas if there's anything else you're maybe getting a little bit tired of or you're doing day in, day out, eventually you're going to lose that energy. And I think to get through what's required to succeed and to overcome burnout, etc., you kind of need to look at what gets you excited in the morning. For me, that's gaming. So I say TBC of what's going to come in the future. Um, hopefully something positive, but like that's kind of the future I'm working towards. 
Yeah, sounds exciting. I uh, Well, obviously I'll be sure to keep an eye on it, but yeah, if anyone else does want to keep an eye on it, then uh, later on I'll be uh, passing over some marks. <laughs> social handles so you can get in touch but one thing that i like to do kind of towards the end of the podcast is just ask a few questions that are kind of maybe a bit more general but i like to ask every guest that comes on you know it kind of gives those different insights as well so the first one would be what is your favorite thing about marketing slash working in marketing I know this is probably going to be the most cliche answer you're going to get and you're probably going to get a hundred times over in the future. But the fact that whatever you knew, maybe six, 12 months ago, while the foundational elements are still the same, there is some change there. I think, as I tell any junior level marketer, you're always going to be a student, really, in this area. Um, like all of us, like we are students, we always have to keep on top of what's happening, continuously reading, continuously testing, and encouraging people to have their own side projects, the platform to do something on. I think that's what got me excited initially 20 years ago, and still what gets me excited now is the fact that I don't have all the answers. Not any marketer I know, no matter how senior they are, have all the answers. I might be able to talk broadly about some things, but the fact is there is no digital marketing experts in this industry, really. Some people position themselves as such. They shouldn't. Um, but every one of us is continuously having to keep up to date. So that's what kind of excites me, I think. I can't lie. It's always been similar for me. So maybe I'll be on that kind of standard response as well. <laughs> um, so the next one is where I'm expecting probably the most differences in the answers. And that will be what are your favorite marketing tools? So if you've got a top one that you can easily pick, feel free. But if not, kind of maybe top three. Um yeah. Oh, oh God, you make that difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> controversial here. I'm going to default to what I use nearly every day because ultimately that's a sign that I'm getting what I need from it for projects. And that's usually Ahrefs, to be honest. Like, I get the data that I need for projects and we're in terms of keyword analysis, um, backlink analysis, etc., from the platform. And previously in the past, I had used platforms like Moz, but uh, like the quality is not quite there anymore and SEMrush are good at some things too but not necessarily good at other things um, but for anything related to say keyword topic clusters keyword insights is one of the best tools in the markets and Andy Chadwick and the team have done an amazing job there and it's certainly the platform I drive people to and I think those guys are just doing a, such a great job of the platform the innovations they're rolling out consistently just the fact that they're good people putting out amazing contents and they do the work themselves with their own agency to understand what people like us need. And I think that's what makes them better than say other platforms like SEMrush who are potentially trying to copy them. They're not necessarily hands-on marketers, don't really understand our pain points. So I always shout about some keyword insights. So probably put them in the wrong order. I probably put keyword insights first, Ahrefs second. And Ahrefs, I do have some frustrations, um, <laughs> which I won't get into in regards to pricing structures, etc. cetera. Um, but I mean, the guys, so keyword insights, like that's something that really makes a content marketer's job and even SEO's job much, much easier. Um, even put together a content brief, etc., and just actually pulling together the data to present to a client. I don't think they'll have competition in the market. So I, I generally recommend at all times. And the final question is, what is your top advice for freelancers? So that could be anyone who's either starting out or someone who's maybe just started the journey, for example, or it could be anyone experienced. Um, so what is your top piece of advice for them? With some starting out, um, to be frank, you do need to put the time in. Like, like I never encourage like putting in unhealthy amount of time into anything. But starting out, I think you need to set time aside outside your job to really actually learn in your area as much as possible and to read and to absorb. So for me, when I was starting out, like one of my early roles was working in London and in the morning, my commute was probably like an hour and a half, two hours. I was reading. I had to search engine lands, the Moz blog back in the day, Cetera, Sembrush blog. I had to absorb it because I had to. It was a fast moving industry. I'm in a marketing team where they're trusting me because they hired me. 
and I have to make sure I'm giving back in terms of my recommendations. Evenings and weekends, again, maybe an hour or two was set aside. Most evenings or the weekend, I was spending time as well and just actually giving myself the space to really keep up to date in terms of what's happening in the street. Like, it's not easy whenever you're working full-time especially. You're tired, you're exhausted. The last thing you want to do is to do this. But by investing in understanding what's happening as well as starting to build your personal brand from the early days, like again, that kind of just pays off long-term. And it's hard to speak about the return on that investment when you're starting out because it's something you don't want to do. Like no one wants to do anything after work, really. That's work-related. But I think you just have to do it, sadly. And I think even if you're a senior level marketer, you need to keep doing it too. No, definitely. I mean, that literally sends me back to kind of the beginning of my career where, you know, I'd be getting the train, commuting to work in the morning, reading blogs, you know, probably doing that on the way home as well. Um, didn't always work well because I do get travel sick quite a bit, but still there was the commitment from me. Um but yeah, it's been fantastic uh, having this chat with you today, Mark. And I just want to say thank you again for your time. It's uh, very much appreciated and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Freelancing Friends podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I would love to hear any feedback you have. Remember to head on over to freelancingfriends.co.uk and join the community today. Also, be sure to follow the podcast on your favourite streaming services. Thank you.